day, what a day. Welcome to the JT The Brick Show. You know, when you put the silver and black uniform on, you get such a surge of energy. It's time for the JT The Brick Show. And a lot of football players around the country that want to wear that silver and black. JT The Brick. When you talk about the Raiders, everyone knows you talk about the Raiders. On Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, here's your host, JT The Brick. Brandon Cristal, my longtime friend, great reporter and host in Denver for KOA, kind enough to join us. And we spent some good time, my friend, in Canton together with the wives at the Woodson party. You were bouncing all over the place with Steve Atwater. Great seeing you in Canton. Yeah, buddy. It was always, uh, you know, it's always good to see you, whether it's at the Super Bowl or at any other event or when you come in town for Rocky's opening day or so many concerts. I saw how bummed you were about the Charlie Watts news. And I was going to text you anyway because your Yankees are playing so damn well. And what a difference a few weeks makes on your Twitter <laughs> timeline because your level of, of disappointment has certainly, I'm sure, uh, been reduced by how well they've been playing. But good to talk to you, buddy. Yeah, good to talk to you. Let's jump in on the news of Teddy Bridgewater there. And I like Drew Locke's grit. I like his upside. I like his ceiling because I think he can do a lot of things outside the pocket. But – Teddy's a better game manager. You're at practice. You've covered this story inside and out. Take me through Vic Fangio's decision and why he made it. Well, the most interesting thing about it isn't the decision itself. A lot of people thought that it was going to be Teddy based on how well he's played kind of throughout the preseason, but definitely in Seattle when he got to play as a starter after Drew started against the Vikings. We knew they were going to flip-flop, and he's led four scoring drives, three of them for touchdowns. Two of them were short little touchdown passes. But the surprise isn't that Bridgewater was named the starter. It was the timing of it because they, they're they kind of shifting to a regular season schedule this week and in the, into in next with their timing in the building when they have players in and when they're on the practice field and all of that. And so it just didn't make a lot of sense that they wouldn't have talked to those guys yesterday and then at the team meeting yesterday, made the decision. But Vic, because we asked him about the timing. In fact, I think I asked him, why did you wait an extra day? And he said, I didn't want any agents because I know you rub their backs and they rub your backs, you know, getting it first. And it's like, well, I guess it just depends on when you, you tell him. But I don't know if you were ready to make this move before the week started with the Tuesday practice, then why not just go ahead and make it? But the decision's made and and I'm with you that I, I like Drew Locke's upside, but I understand why Bridgewater is going to be the starter, at least uh, heading into the 2021 season. Brandon Cristal joins us. So what, where are the weapons? And, and we know that Jerry Judy can make big plays, and he had a couple of big plays last year and with Noah Fant and what they're trying to do running the football. I think it's really important that Denver has a running game that they can count on here to work play action and take some of the heat off of Teddy and turn him into a pure passer who's got to throw a lot because he's behind. How do you see it? Um, uh, I'm right there with you. I think you're 100% right. And, look, we're in fantasy draft season. I would be bullish on Melvin Gordon, especially early. And if you're in a keeper league, I would make sure you grab Javante Williams and don't wait too long because plenty of people have seen him run the ball a little bit because every game's on NFL Network and they understand he was a third running back taken. And with Travis Etienne, he'll have a chance now to be one of two running backs along with Najee Harris, the top two rookie running backs. You know, they'll get plenty of attention and plenty of love, certainly daily fantasy stuff. But uh, down the road, uh, I think Melvin Gordon is going to be a workhorse early uh, because of the experience and because he's in the final year of his deal. And he still has a lot left in the tank, and he wants to go out and get more money. And they know that Javante Williams is a big part of their future. They're going to work those guys 
in a one two you know one two punch kind of role, but I think it's going to be more of a sixty five seventy percent kind of Melvin Gordon split early. And Williams has shown that he can pick up the blitz, but he's still not Melvin Gordon in that regard. And, and Melvin's good out of the backfield catching the ball, so I think it could be a big year, certainly a big start to the year for Melvin Gordon and a quarterback, whether it's a young Drew Locke trying to figure it all out or a, a veteran in Teddy Bridgewater who hasn't been the most dynamic passer. Their best friend is a good running game and a good defense, and the Broncos appear to have both. Brandon Cristal joins us as Vic Fangio goes with Teddy Bridgewater, and Teddy's a unique guy. I mean, we saw his athletic ability in college. People question his mechanics and his throwing style. Then he fills in for Drew Brees for five games, and he runs the table and goes 5-0. and oh. This is his big shot now. You know how big this brand is. When you got to Denver and you've seen this, you built a relationship with Peyton Manning. You covered that story. And I always said it's a John Elway town. The pressure. Talk to me about the Bronco fans you talked to and how big of a spot this is for Teddy. He probably is the right guy to handle it because he doesn't seem to be bothered much by media. Is that accurate? I think it is. And it's been interesting because we don't really get uh, much of a chance to know him. And as you know, I do a podcast with Shelby Harris and was hoping that our guest this week, once they made the announcement, would be Teddy Bridgewater. Instead, it's a reserve defensive lineman, uh, Deshaun Williams, who had a couple of turnovers or takeaways, rather, against Seattle. I'm hoping we get Bridgewater so we can just get to know him a little more. Uh, And I've talked to some people that know him pretty well, but it's interesting kind of trying to figure out who he is. He's one of those guys that when he starts his press conference or he comes up on the podium, he just starts talking and does an opening statement the way coaches often do uh, or athletic directors or general managers then takes questions. And it's, he's, he's a guy that certainly is comfortable in his own skin, but is kind of mild mannered when he was asked Saturday, if he's named the starter, how he'd react, he'd go, oh, I think it's cool. And so I asked him when, when he met, met the media after the Wednesday practice, I said, okay, you said it was going to be cool. Is that you downplaying? He's like, no, it's cool. <laughs> and he said he was excited and all of that, but I don't think he's going to worry about being in John Elway or Peyton Manning's shadow. And in part, that's because after Peyton Manning left the playing field, he's at just about every home game, uh, and he's in town and around, and certainly John Elway is still sort of Teddy's boss and definitely still around. Uh, he, he's not really looking over his shoulder, but it's been five years since Peyton Manning and now going into a sixth season since Peyton Manning's been on the football field. So enough of a gap there that I don't think he's feeling that pressure. I will say this when it comes to pressure, though. Broncos fans are, are sick of losing, and they had such a fun run, whether it was the Mike Shanahan era, which then had some ups and downs, but then obviously the year with T-Bone in 2011 and the four years with Tate Manning, that they're craving more. And there's a chance that Drew Locke becomes the most popular quarterback in Denver, maybe even more so than John Elway and Tate Manning, if Teddy Bridgewater struggles early or, or struggles at any point and, and they're not running away with an obvious look at the playoffs that then drew lock people will be clamoring to get the youngster back in there. Did this have anything to do with the schedule? Because I've been talking about a lot of these quarterbacks with a quarterback change that Mac Jones, I'd let cam get into it. And the cam COVID issue is a big one, but you know, Tampa Bay's coming in pretty early in the season. I think cam gives them a better chance in that atmosphere over Mac Jones. And then after that, you let them play. Same thing in Chicago. With Justin Fields, you know, you don't start him off and throw him to the Wolves against the Rams and Aaron Donald, let Dalton play a few games, and then bring him in. What about the schedule in the Broncos? Do you think that Fangio looked at it at all and thought he had a better chance of managing some early wins with Bridgewater, or the schedule has nothing to do with this decision? 
Well, uh, maybe a little bit. I think just in general, he likes where this roster is. And you start to touch on the skill players. We cover the running backs. They get four of their five starters back on the old line. Garrett Bowles Mm -hmm. played at an all-pro level last year. Of course, the holding calls were way down. Not for him across the league, but also for him. He was a beneficiary. They added a veteran in Bobby Massey, a 10-year guy. He's going to be their right tackle. But Sutton's back off injury. You mentioned Judy. Hamler's kind of coming into his own, their second rounder. So they got a lot of weapons. And and Fant, like you mentioned, plus the other kid, Albert O., the tight end was the fastest tight end two years ago after Albert or after Fant was the fastest tight end at the combine the year before. So a lot, a lot, a lot of weapons there, but Vic Fangio's never won a game in September. They go to New York to play the giants in the opener in the afternoon mm-hmm. on September 12th. Then they go to the Jags and we know the Jags are going to be easier to beat in the short term than they will. I think when Trevor Lawrence and that roster gets it all figured out down the road in a couple of years, and then they get the jets coming to town. So for a guy that's never won a game in September as a head coach, I think Vic Fangio is certainly looking at, okay, how can I jump out to a 2-0, and 3-0 and kind of lead before the Ravens come to town and, and we know what they're going to bring. And then they go to the Steelers, and, and we don't know if they're going to be where they were early in the year last year. But the, the schedule probably plays into it to the degree that Vic knows that he needs to get some September wins and I don't think this is like a, a mind game or seeing is Teddy going to be ready. But we know that George Payton, the new GM, kicked the tires on just about every quarterback that was out there and that the Lions asked about Drew Locke's availability and they said he didn't want to, they didn't want him to be a part of the trade. So they're not giving up on Drew Locke. They're just not starting him right now. Uh, so I, I don't know if the schedule played a huge factor in, in the decision, but it, it's certainly in the back of Vic's mind that he's never won a game in September. Yeah, Brandon Gristall joins us. That's why I asked the question. I think they have a great opportunity to start off 3-0. and The only problem is uh, their home openers that they're playing on the road. So, the, you know, at the Giants, in the history of the Giants, believe me, I grew up there. They come out. The weather's great. They tailgate. The place will be a madhouse uh, for the Giants there. Then the Jaguars and Trevor Lawrence and what that game wins and the swimming pool and Urban Meyer there. These are hostile environments, even though those, those teams weren't very good. And then they get the Jets at home for the home opener, and I expect them to win that game. And then you mentioned Ravens, Steelers, Raiders, at Browns, Cowboys, at the Cowboys. So you nailed it. The, the Bridgewater is given, Brandon, the golden opportunity to start off 2-1 and one and 3-0. and oh. Quiet all the critics. Beat teams he's supposed to beat. If he doesn't, I don't know what Fangio's going to be thinking about his job status and security down the road. And I'm telling you, if he's a manager looking for the bullpen, if Teddy doesn't look good, Drew Locke's right there. Well, absolutely. And, and whoever the quarterback is, they're going to have those weapons. You know, Pro Football Focus rated their pass catchers as the sixth best group. And Fant, who's been a little nicked up with a little leg thing and, and mispractice uh, mm-hmm. here this week, but should be fine. And, and Sutton and Judy and and Hamler and Tim Patrick, who had a really nice year. This feels like, when you add those running backs to the mix in the old line, like we talked about, the best group of skill players, even with Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas two years ago for Teddy when he filled in for Drew Brees, that Teddy's ever had. Because Minnesota had some okay players, and you had Adam Thielen kind of figuring it out, and I don't know what the overlap was with Stephon Diggs. But this is a guy that was in the Pro or you know, Teddy Bridgewater went to the Pro Bowl in second year, but – a team that has a Pro Bowl receiver from a couple of years ago, a Pro Bowl running back from a few years before that, a number one receiver in Jerry Judy, you know, in terms of a, a number 15 pick, Hamler in the second round, Fant, first round pick. 
these are a lot of weapons and 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 like you said a golden opportunity plus a really really good defense with a hall of fame pass rusher a, a pro bowl starter on the other side the highest paid safety in football up until a couple of weeks ago from the pro bowl last year and justin simmons they're 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 set up with a good roster for whomever the quarterback is all right, I got Guns N' Roses Friday at Allegiant Stadium. Anything hitting at Red Rocks? Anything at Red Rock? Anything outdoors at Mile High? I mean, don't you want to go to a rock concert in Denver in the summertime? I mean, it could get cold. The weather, the sun's always shining in Denver. People don't know that history like I do from our friend Johnny Butler. The sun shines in Denver more days than any day of the year. But you're getting outside, you're getting up to Aspen, you're bike riding. I know your family's growing, but what's coming up in Denver to wrap up the summer? Oh, well, we already had Nathaniel Rateliff in the night sweats, play three nights at Red Rocks, and I went Monday. They played Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So I went to that to see uh, Nathaniel Rateliff. Saw Michael Malone, the Nuggets head coach. He was enjoying He was enjoying it and was, you know, we talked about them not being on TV on Christmas. The Joker, the MVP, is not on TV on Christmas, uh, but they still have to travel to L.A. on Christmas Day, so they kind of get screwed two ways by the league there instead of hosting a Christmas game. Uh, but – Next weekend with Labor Day, with the cutdowns coming early, uh, I may sneak up to the Jazz Aspen Snowmass Festival. My man Amos Lee is playing at Chautauqua in Boulder. Nice. Don't worry. I'm getting my, my <laughs> concert fix in, JT, as, as we have kind of a bunch this summer. But before football season really dominates, obviously, my fall and, and yours as well. Gosh, GNR at Allegiant Stadium, that's going to be fun. I can't wait to see what that crowd looks like and see your pictures from that. You got it, buddy. Good to talk to you. Thanks for doing this. A big story. We wanted to have you on because you're all over this type of stuff. Talk to you soon. Be safe. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon, bud. I'm really proud of him. I'm really excited to see what he does in his future. I think we tried to summarize him a couple days ago. He has the it factor. He he rarely makes the same mistake twice. He loves football. He eats it up. And he's, he's one of the energizers of our defense. He's walked in here and given us a lot of skills that we can utilize, certainly. Nate Hobbs, kind enough to join us. Nate, I'm in the building. JT, thanks for doing this. And how much fun are you having? How excited are you to be a Raider? I'm definitely having a whole lot of fun out there. Like more fun than I think I expected. And I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm blessed to be a Raider. I feel like I'm blessed by Coach Gruden and and Coach Gus and uh, all those guys who you know want to take a chance on me. Nate, before we talk about the roster and your situation, tell me how you went from Louisville to Illinois and then got to the Raiders. What were the big chapters in your youth as a high school player developing in college that helped you become a pro football player? Um, so I, uh, Illinois was actually my only Power 5, Division One Power 5 offer. I was uh, originally committed to WKU. Um, they they was a good team though in their, in their conference, but um, I made the switch to go to Illinois. Coach Smith he you know, he came to my house, took me in like I was one of his own. So I I just felt like you know at home. So then um, I feel like having Coach Smith as an NFL head coach, it prepared me a lot for the NFL. Yeah, it's nice that John Gruden has that connection with Lovey yeah. Smith, and he's been quoted a few times saying that because. Uh, that's why you were drafted. They did their due diligence with Lovey and the rest of the staff and what, how you popped on film. So then you get to the Raiders and you find out you're going to be playing for Gus Bradley. What's clicked with Gus in this system that makes you feel comfortable? Um, I feel like Gus, um, them, them put me at that nickel, uh, nickel position. 
I feel like they just, you know, put the wings on me and uh, showed I can play more than one position in the, uh, the in the as a defensive back. Um, and also they let me play corner too. So I just feel like uh, the the defense is fitting for me and. It shows what I could do. They they let me blitz. They let me play man. I play zone. I do a lot. So I'm just thankful that um, they were they were able to give me those opportunities. Nate Hobbs is our guest. You know, Nate, it's interesting to me because it seems like you're a player that wants to play free. You want to have the ability to be a ball hawk and intercept the pass like you did deep over the middle of the field, but also quickly read a quarterback's eye and a defense from breaking down film and then explode and make a play behind the line of scrimmage. What do you like more, to make a tackle for a loss or a big play downfield? I just like to make plays. It don't really matter to me. As long as it, I can, I got the opportunity to make a play, then I'm going to make the play. <laughs> yeah, this is interesting now because your play blew up that you made in L.A., and a lot of Raider fans – are excited about this. And I want to get into also what Gus and Coach Gruden are telling you this far out before the start of the season. Coach Gruden just had a press conference. We found out about the more details about Nicholas Morrow being out a while. And no doubt we're going to see the injury. You know your teammate, Javin White, and what's happened to him. Do you feel like there's more responsibility for you now to be called on before you even played a real NFL game, a regular season game, to be prepared to play more than you were expected to play when you were drafted. Um, I, I don't really like coming in. My my mindset was to try to help the team any way I can and try to uh, earn a spot. So I was I, I put that pressure on myself anyway to you know no matter what no matter what happened because I felt like I was gonna uh, eventually have to if not start season um, you know players go down and. And and players do this and that, and I, I felt like I was gonna have to play it anyway, so I already put that pressure on myself. So I don't, I don't feel any extra pressure. Nate Hobbs joins us, Raiders corner. Uh, one of the questions from our audience just when Wendy says for Nate, who did you study to learn your position? Current or past NFL player? Any Raiders? We're very happy that you're a Raider, Nate. So who'd you come in looking up to, and maybe an NFL player you studied before you came here? Um, I like Jalen the way Jalen Ramsey plays his game. I feel like he's he, he got a good mix of technique and athleticism that he uses, and he's very disciplined. Another guy I like uh, is Tyran Matthew. Mm-hmm. I like the way he plays, and he plays just with a lot of energy and and no fear. Like he just he's not the biggest guy, he's not the fastest, um, but he, he uses his he uses his brain a lot and. He just goes to make dog plays. He doesn't really care who he's playing. And I feel like um, I resemble that uh, kind of because I don't really care who the opponent is. I'm just trying to you know, do what I got to do. And then I like Jair Alexander. Mm-hmm. I like his game. Nate Hobbs joins us. When you come into a team like this, you could have got drafted anywhere, Cincinnati, Buffalo, the Packers. You come to the Raiders. What is it like for you to study the history of this team. Tom Flores and Charles Woodson just went into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. You see all these trophies and all these legends when you go into mm-hmm. the stadium and all those names. How much are you enjoying the history of the Silver and Black? Um, I think they like the Raiders have a very rich history. And I I knew I knew about it prior to being on the team, but now that I'm on the team, I'm just seeing um all the history and culture that that the black that that it the black and silver has, and mm-hmm. I'm just so grateful to be a part of it. And 
I actually um I started looking at Charles Wilson and the way he played because you know he's one of our own. He was one of the greatest DBs, and I feel like um he he played corner safety nickel. I feel like I I can um have the ability to you know if they want me to go play safety, I'll go play safety. If they want me to play corner, I play corner. If they want me to play nickel, I play nickel. So just you know trying to pick up on those things and just you know being a part of this this team is just a blessing. Hey, Nate, as we wrap it up, uh, interesting times here, COVID protocols. You're in Vegas, the entertainment capital of the world. But it just seems like you get it. You see once a Raider, always a Raider. This is really a blessing for you, isn't it, to come to an organization like that that thinks so highly of you. And what about the fans? I got Raider Nation here. They're all going crazy for you. And the regular season does, hasn't even started yet. How does it feel interacting with these fans? No, it's definitely it's, it's definitely a blessing. Uh, I'm I'm so thankful to to the Raiders fan base that you know they they're taking me in as their own, and I just want to continue to uh, do whatever I can for the team and for the fans for this city to um, go as far as as far as possible this year. If I don't talk to you before the home opener on Monday Night Football, what's it going to be like for you when you're lined up at the nickel, whatever you're doing in that game? And you're looking into the eyes of Lamar Jackson, and you know if that guy takes off, you better get to him and help your teammates and get him on the ground. How excited are you for that opportunity? Uh, it's competition. I love competition, and he wanted the best. I get to play against one of the best. I just feel blessed with you know this opportunity to go out and, and showcase my skills and, and compete with the best. So I'm, I'm just excited. Thanks, Nate. Really appreciate you doing this. All the best. Stay healthy. Look forward to talking to you a bunch. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. I want to respect what other people's concerns are, but for me personally, if you're just talking, no one else can get the virus. What is your concern if you could get it? I I would say I'm I'm going to go about my daily life. If I get it, I'm going to ride it out. I'm going to let nature do its course, uh, survival of the fittest kind of an approach, and just say yeah. if it knocks me out, it knocks me out. Uh, I'm I'm going to be okay. Uh, you know, even if I die, if I die, I die. I kind of have peace about that. So that's that's really where I fall on it. So my opinion, you know, wearing a mask and and is really about being respectful to other people. It really has nothing to do with my own personal personal thoughts thrilled to be talked by a guy who played in the league at such a high level former linebacker with the vikings and chargers ben lieber joins us also viking sideline analyst and host on k fan ben thanks a lot i'll jump right in what has it been like now as a sports radio host and an analyst covering this covid situation and all the ups and downs with the vikings (laughs) well i guess from a a content and talkability and storylines it's been great you know, it's been uh, always, there's always something going on, especially with the Vikings. And I know that we're, everybody that works closely with the team always seems like, why does everything happen to us? And why is there always like big drama with us? And I know that there's drama going on with other teams, but um, it, it is, it has been a, uh, a pretty enjoyable off season and preseason for, uh, for us on the radio. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm out here in Vegas with the Raiders and, I see this as an interesting time because last year, T. 
teams got crippled by COVID. A lot of pro- players weren't able to practice. Position units were shut down throughout the entire league. But when you have a quarterback that's non-vaccinated, that's a topic that will never go away until the quarterback gets vaccinated. Cam Newton missing reps this week and all of that. You know, as a former player, your relationship with Kirk Cousins, how difficult is this topic to approach with him? Well, you know, quite frankly, um, you know, I don't have much of a relationship with him. You know, he's 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 kind of, um, you know, it's kind of off limits. A lot of the players are off limits. You know, the, the new protocols came out as far as media and because I work with the team, it sounds like I'll be able to go in the locker room now for the regular season. But, you know, up until then, um, you know, I'm not the one out there at practice every day asking questions. I'm just uh, observing, reading all the beat writers' information. But, you know, I, I think it's – the unfortunate thing is I do think that this team um, has been the spotlight for all this COVID stuff. It has been brought on themselves. I don't think that they want the spotlight on themselves. I mean, you just mentioned Cam Newton. There's, there's a lot of other players. You know, there's a lot of players out in the league that are wearing face masks for these preseason games. And I'm going to guess, and I don't have the percentage and I don't have specific names, but I'm going to guess a lot of those players are being protected by the beat writers for, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And if we were to actually go out there and out every one of these star players that are not even vaccinated, Kirk Cousins certainly would not be the biggest name on that list. And I don't think the spotlight would be on the Vikings. Ben Lieber's our guest. No, I agree with you on that. I think what adds to this story, Ben, and how close you are to the team, and as a former player, is you can see it and feel it every time Mike Zimmer speaks. He talks about his family, the players and them, their families. From a distance covering the NFL, I almost feel like he's putting his heart out, his emotions on his sleeve every day. When he goes to mandatory press, he doesn't want to talk about COVID and unvaccinated players and his quarterback anymore. He wants to talk about X's and O's and how he's going to have the team ready to play. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, this has been a different Mike Zimmer really all offseason. You, you talk about performances, individual performances, how the team performed in a preseason game. He's been very candid and very honest. And I think everybody appreciates that. And he, and he hasn't held back and filtered himself when it comes to larger topics, which is just not a Mike Zimmer that we've seen ever. So I, I, I appreciate that. But at the same time, if you don't want to talk, it, talk about it, then stop talking about it. Um, you know, other coaches have addressed this same issue with vaxxed versus unvaxxed on their teams. And yet they, they sort of take the high road. They make sure that they're not being divisive. They're, make, they're making sure that they're keeping the team a, as a unit. And, you know, I, I know that Mike Zimmer is speaking from the heart, but if he doesn't want to talk about it, then he has free reign to say, I'm not talking about it anymore. We've addressed the situation. We're going to talk about football. We're going to talk about X's and O's. We're going to talk about you know, potential player cuts and how this team's going to be built. So to that, I would say, if you don't want to talk about it, then stop talking about it. Ben Lieber's our guest, former NFL linebacker, now with KFAN in Minneapolis. I want to move to the return of a really good player. Everson Griffin's coming back, and he's played great with this organization. Now he returns. He apologized to Kirk Cousins. Is this a really good story to cover locally? Is it a big one? Because they need him to come in and be an impact player, especially in a division with Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's he's the only guy that's on this roster now that I actually played with. Um, mm-hmm. It's been that long and there's been that much turnover. So for me, there's a, uh, there's a personal bias. You know, I have a special love for Everson. I've seen uh, the type of growth that he's had 
from a personal standpoint, not just from a professional standpoint. And so I'm a fan of his. And I, and I think that he needs football in his life right now. And the Minnesota Vikings are going to provide him that best support, and they have throughout his whole career. So from that standpoint, I, I love to see it. I was a little shocked that he made the announcement that he had not talked to Kirk yet, uh, has not addressed uh, the tweet that he sent out in the offseason, and when he got released from the team. I expected that when they worked him out a couple weeks ago that all of that was water under the bridge. It had been worked out, and that's the reason why they felt like they could bring him in. So it was a little surprising that that hadn't taken place yet. But I can tell you, you know, look, Kirk's faced a lot of criticism in his whole, in his whole career. So for a guy like Everson, who is very impulsive, um, he speaks from raw emotion a lot of the times. I think there's a lot of things that he has probably said and done in the locker room that maybe he probably shouldn't say or do in those moments, but that's just the way he is. And I think I, I'm willing to give him that leash because everybody in the locker room, especially Kirk, knows that Everson is just a different cat. And, um, you know, he was, he was tweeting from emotion and, and probably made a, a Twitter 101 mistake. And, uh, and I don't think that uh, it's going to hold this team back. I don't think it's going to hold the locker room back. And they'll probably dap it up and be fine, you know, moments after that, uh, that encounter. Uh, ben Labor's our guest. Ben, wrapping it up, I, I thought this team had a window to win the Super Bowl the last couple of years. I actually picked them to win the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. I'm a Cousins guy. When Cousin plays well, I think he's a borderline elite quarterback. He can put up big numbers. The running game is clearly there. The DNA on defense with Zimmer is there. Now, you know, players have come and gone. What are expectations like in Minnesota now? What are the fans expecting? You know, I always hate to, to throw the Super Bowl in there as far as um, expectations because, let's be honest, every team goes into preseason saying that that's an expectation. Why, why else would you be playing the game? I, I think realistically, you got to think small. Um, you got to think about winning your division and then get into the playoffs and see what happens. And I, and I do think, I think that you need to jump back on the bandwagon. Um, everything that you said about Kirk is true. I think he gets a lot of unnecessary hate. Um, I think he is a borderline elite quarterback. There was a time in a five- or six-week stretch in October and November where he was at an MVP level and was getting that talk. And then all of a sudden, the team didn't, uh, didn't you know, find success because the defense was an embarrassment. And all of a sudden, now they blame Kirk Cousins. And it's like, that's, that's not fair. And um, I think this is going to be an explosive offense. Dalvin looks great. Uh, Jefferson's coming off an AC sprain, which is a minor injury. Should not affect him for the course of the season. The, the interior offensive line, um, although it's probably not as solidified as I'd like it to be, it looks pretty darn good. Um, they're moving some guys around. They're not letting in that inside pressure, and that's been the biggest problem with Kirk and this offense. And this defense, I mean, that was the Achilles heel last year, and now you got two big beefcakes in the middle with Michael Pierce and Dalvin Tomlinson. Those two guys, along with a potential Hall of Fame corner and Bashad Breeland has been playing lights out all preseason, you better watch out for this defense, too. That's, all, that's the only missing ingredient for this team to make a big push. So jump back on the bandwagon. Well, I'm with the silver and black, so I don't jump on the bandwagon. As you know, the Raiders beat the Vikings in Super Bowl eleven, so there's, there's no bandwagon, but covering it yeah, nationally you gotta, you gotta and locally, you gotta, you gotta have, I like the Vikings. You got an NFC team. You, gotta have, you, gotta, you can have two teams. Like, listen, I still cheer for the Chargers. 
Oh, so don't it's, get it's me going. I was, I'm, don't get me going. I'm born and raised a diehard Giant fan back in the day, and I and I have to fight off the Raider Nation because they don't forget that from me. But I get what I'm get what you're saying. <laughs> hey, you had a great career, and you did have a great run with both the Vikings and the Chargers. Love having you on at Nacho Lieber. We'll do it again, Ben. And thanks for the update. Thanks a lot, JT. You got it, Ben Lieber. Fun to talk to him. Yeah, that's an interesting thing. Do you have two teams? You know, you look at that. If you were born. I got an excuse. I was born a Giant fan. I work for an NFL team. Of course, I want the NFL team, the Raiders, to win more than anything. That's my bread and butter. That's who I'm loyal to. I work for the team. I want them to win. If they played the Giants, I would root for the Raiders. Of course, you would with your job. I don't care what you do. You put yourself in my position or any position. You pull for who you work for and who pays the bills and who's been great to you. But... You know, I've never been a fan of two teams. I mean, I'm not a Yankee fan in the American League. I, I like the Padres. I lived out there. I'd like to see them beat the Dodgers a little bit or, you know, win or get to the playoffs. But I don't root for them. Uh, Ben's in a unique situation because he works for K-Fan and he played for the Chargers and he was good on both teams. But I wanted to ask him seriously about what it's like covering Kirk Cousins locally. Kirk Cousins a really good player. He is a very – you can win a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. You could win a Super Bowl with Derek Carr. You can win a Super Bowl going around this league with, I think, some quarterbacks who have been around for a while. You know, I used to say that about Andy Dalton. He got to the playoffs in Cincinnati, but they couldn't win. There's a level of quarterback that isn't super elite, which is outside the top ten. Can you win a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill? Absolutely you can. He's good enough to win the Super Bowl. Everybody thinks because of Brady winning seven that you have to have Tom Brady, Mahomes, or Aaron Rodgers to win. No, that's not the case. But the trend lately, we're living in the uh, era of Tom Brady where everybody thinks they need Brady or better to win. It's not going to happen. There will be Josh Allen in Buffalo can win multiple Super Bowls. Justin Herbert, saw him live last year. I'm totally sold. He can win a Super Bowl. That's what happens. But your quarterback's got to play great in the playoffs. And that's where Cousins, you know, drops off a bit against the Niners. You know, Cousins didn't put the team on his back. Jimmy Garoppolo got him to the Super Bowl. And that's what I think about Jimmy Garoppolo, too. He got, you can win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't think you can win with rookie quarterbacks who have never played. You know, Lamar Jackson was close because he was an MVP very young. Mahomes, already a Super Bowl win, an MVP, a Super Bowl MVP. But a lot of these young guns coming out, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. I'm going to win a Super Bowl anytime soon. It's going to take time for them to develop. NFL preseason. It seems like the Vikings are the team that we talk about most with COVID because the quarterback isn't vaccinated and the head coach is talking about the quarterback not being vaccinated all the time. If you're a Viking fan, your thought on that conversation with Ben Lieber. JT, NFL pushing to the regular season. Talk to Alden Gonzalez, ESPN multimedia reporter, does a great job of covering Southern California baseball along with MLB nationally. And Alden, as we jump in, I wanted to start off with your reporting and, and what you can update us on with Trevor Bauer 
and this story and Major League Baseball's involvement, what the Dodgers are thinking, and especially from Trevor Bauer's perspective, he wants to get in this thing, start pitching again and clearing his name. What's the update? Well, he definitely wants to start pitching again. Um, I don't think that there's anybody in the industry who thinks that is going to happen this season. Largely, just if you look at the calendar right now, Trevor Bauer hasn't been around this team even since the 2nd of July. Um, we're almost at the end of August. Uh, the Pasadena Police Department in California still has to conduct a criminal investigation. Major League Baseball still has to conduct its own investigation, which probably wouldn't wrap, or at least nothing would be decided there until after that criminal investigation gets out of the way. Trevor Bauer did clear a hearing in L.A. did clear a hurdle, excuse me, in uh, mm-hmm. L.A. court last week when the judge ruled that. The temporary restraining order that was obtained against them was dissolved. The judge dismissed the need for a permanent restraining order against them. But, you know, I, as I wrote, as I said on camera, that's just sort of a small, very finite um, sort of legal ruling uh, based on that specific hearing. There are still allegations here of sexual assault that the um, Pasadena Police Department is investigating on. And, you know, regardless of whether or not Trevor Bauer is ultimately indicted. Major League Baseball, you got to keep in mind, they don't need a criminal conviction to suspend mm-hmm. a player under its domestic violence policy. And we have seen players get hit with lengthy suspensions or even less egregious uh, allegations made against them. So I expect some sort of suspension at some point from Major League Baseball. And at this point, we're really just waiting to see what that is going to look like. So with Trevor Bauer, and your reporting's been great, and I saw you on SportsCenter recently a couple of days ago when you talked about this, considering he believes, Trevor Bauer, that this was rough sex that was consensual. That's the only opportunity he has to clear his name with the text messages, uh, with these limited relationships that he's had with women. His attorney, what's the defense here? That this was consensual and that Bauer has evidence from the women that and going back, I mean, this is this is something that he's into, that the text message will, will clear his name. What does he have to clear his name when it comes to he said, she said, especially with a, a woman who was bruised and battered? Well, when you say clear his name, that's a tough one because a lot of times you could say clear his name from a criminal perspective, and that obviously will end up being more black and white. But clear his name from a public perception standpoint, that's the one that is going to be difficult because you've got to keep in mind, and I sat in that courtroom all week last week, and they deliberated on a lot of different issues. And the main points of contention that were brought up by Trevor Bauer's legal team were that this woman, um, I guess, in lack of a better phrase, invited rough sex, even um, welcomed it. And there were also other text messages that the woman left out or were not part of the woman's declaration for the temporary restraining order in which she is texting members of her inner circle about um, maybe downplaying her injuries or alluding to potentially getting money out of this situation or maybe not having the best intentions with regards to harming Trevor Bauer and his career and just publicly because of the things that he did to her or the things that she alleges that he did to her. The thing that is important to note here is at no point during during that hearing was there a denial from Trevor Bauer's side 
with regards to what she alleged he did to her, specifically mm-hmm. punching her with a closed fist all over her body. Now, there was a medical examiner that Trevor Bauer's team retained that, when examining pictures of her, um, alleged that maybe the injuries weren't as significant as the woman claimed them to be. But there has been no denial, generally speaking, of the violence that the woman yeah. alleged to. And there are only certain... You can't, I don't know the rules on this too much, but, you know, one big thing is women, you, you can't provide consent when you're unconscious. That's a very important thing here. And like I said, no denial of the violence. I think the important thing that needs to happen here, and I think this is something that Major League Baseball is waiting on, we haven't heard Trevor Bauer's side. He didn't testify. Mm-hmm. He used his Fifth Amendment right because there is that criminal investigation ongoing. I think ideally before Major League Baseball rules on any sort of suspension, if there is one, they would like to hear from Trevor Bauer. And in all likelihood, they probably haven't yet, because the same reason why he didn't testify in that civil hearing is the same reason why he probably hasn't spoken to Major League Baseball officials. This is incredible news. Alden Gonzalez joins us from ESPN as we look at Trevor Bauer. So what just jumped out at me is we're talking about the degree of violence. You make an interesting point. If a woman agrees to consensual sex and rough sex, and then during it she becomes unconscious, and the physicality of it, I mean, he's done. There's no way to defend that. And, again, this is really a disturbing story because Trevor Bauer, he's also another guy with his podcast, with his Instagram I haven't been paying that much attention, Alden. How has he been handling this? What is his attorneys telling him to do? Has he been low-key trying to talk about this, playing it the smart way and let his attorneys take over? What's he doing trying to defend his name personally? Uh, Trevor Bauer has been, maybe for the first time in his life, silent. Uh, We haven't heard from Trevor Bauer since July 2nd. He, He said three words last week in court, which was yes, your honor, when the judge asked him if he would indeed invoke his Fifth Amendment right to not answer questions. He did the only thing that he has done on social media, which, as you stated, he is very active on social media, uh, particularly Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. The only thing he has put out on his Twitter account is a statement firmly denying allegations made against him by another woman, this one in Ohio, who, according to an initial report by the Washington Post, obtained a temporary restraining order against him last year and then took it back about six weeks later after Trevor Bauer's team uh, threatened legal action. She also was accusing Trevor Bauer of a similar realm of violence to what the woman at this hearing last week um, was alleging to. He put out a statement firmly denying that. He also put out um, a string of text messages between him and the woman that I, I guess was his intent to show that the woman was very interested in him and he wanted no part of it. I don't know if that really absolves him. Either way, I think it is important to note, just in terms of fairness from both sides, that we haven't heard from Trevor Bauer. But I will also admit that when I first read the declaration from the woman um, and I saw the kind of things that she alleged to him doing, my thoughts were pretty similar to yours because I couldn't really recall another athlete um, being accused of these sorts of crimes while they're playing, let alone an athlete who is the highest paid player in the sport. Yeah, well, let me let me follow up with that. Again, that just shocked me, too, when you talk about the price tag for him. 
as a pitcher, you're saying, with Scherzer, all the pitchers, Cole around baseball, the actual contract coming in with the Dodgers. Where does he stand financially again? Uh, he is the highest-paid player this season. Uh, his pro- his contract is very unique. He hasn't signed the he hasn't signed the largest contract in baseball, but he was making close to forty million dollars this season. He is still being paid while on administrative leave, by the way. But his contract is set up in a way that no other contract really has because he has a really high he has a really high salary this year. Then he's got a really high price salary for next year, but it's he has a player option, so he can choose whether or not to opt into that contract. And then he has another player option for year three. So, I mean, it, it's hard to sort of contractually because we first got to see what a potential suspension for Major League Baseball is going to look like. But it is that, that strike has a very unique structure, and it's going to be interesting to see if the Dodgers do or Bauer on their team, um, how they sort of handle that from a financial standpoint. Hey, one last thing, Alden. I appreciate it. This is unbelievable information. Our listeners really appreciate it. This is a great update, uh, unfortunate great update. Uh, the Dodgers and the Yankees. I'm a Yankee fan. I lived in L.A. 10 years. If, if the Dodgers can't catch the Giants and the Yankees can't catch Tampa Bay, it'll be the biggest wild card story of all time, not even close, with the size of those payrolls. If they're both, even at, even the home seed, the Dodgers get the game at Chavez Ravine, the Yankees are in the Bronx. If they're playing a pressure pack one game and both those teams lose or one team loses, incredible. Just handicap what you think about the Dodgers catching the Giants because everyone like myself and every insider I talked to this year said eventually they would do it. Do you think the Dodgers will catch the Giants? Uh, I mean, you could let me in with that group, too. I thought it was an inevitability. Wow, that's a tough word for me to pronounce, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, They would ultimately catch the Giants, either the Dodgers or the Padres, because you looked at the Giants roster coming into the year. I think similar to the Tampa Bay Rays or the Boston Red Sox in the American League East, it just didn't seem on paper like a roster that sort of jumped out to you in terms of them being legitimate playoff contenders, but... The Dodgers are playing as good a baseball as they could possibly play right now, and they barely made up any ground on mm-hmm. the Giants. So we'll see. I mean, it's very clear right now that the Giants are for real. Unfortunately, they don't have a lot of games against one another anymore. I think they played three more in early September, and that's it. And that's just indicative to you of Major League Baseball seeing, thinking going into the year the same way we all were, which was that this is going to Padres down the stretch, and they have a lot of games against one another down the stretch they don't play the Giants much they're going to need help I think more than anything else from a big picture standpoint they need Mookie Betts to stay healthy with that hip and they need mm-hmm. Clayton Kershaw to come back because and this circles back to Trevor Bauer we thought that the Dodgers had a plethora of starting pitching depth when the season began a whole bunch of stuff has happened since most notably the Trevor Bauer situation they need Clayton Kershaw to be a pivotal member of that rotation and there's still a lot of uncertainty around him Thanks, Alden. Really good conversation. I hope we can get you on more often, especially when the postseason begins. Great reporting. Thanks for doing this. Thank you.
Have a good night, everybody. All right? Take care.